Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. It's interesting that in the Byzantine liturgical calendar today is the day in which we celebrate all saints, which is a type of remembrance. And here at the same time in the civil sphere, we're celebrating Memorial Day weekend. It's kind of also interesting that Memorial Day has been fused a little bit. It's been fused with two things. Because see, originally, and what Memorial Day really is, it's about remembering those who died in battle, actually. But it's oftentimes the custom, or it has become the custom, for people just to go to cemeteries and visit the graves of their deceased family members, whether they were soldiers or not. So there's actually an expanding, almost like a fusion of our practice of Memorial Day in our country. It's okay. It's fine. But specifically, it was meant to remember those who died in battle. Now, in the Eastern churches, this word memory is very significant as well. We celebrated last week the feast day of all souls. In other words, the fifth one, because there's four of them that happen during the Lenten season in the Byzantine calendar. But this one happens just before Pentecost, the all souls celebration. This is the one in which we celebrate all those who have died. And we pray for all of them. During Lent, we pray for primarily the members of our families. But now we pray for all who have died, all who are deceased. And it's interesting because now we have All Saints Day in the Byzantine calendar, but this word saint is also something to note because we tend to refer in the Eastern churches to anyone who has died as a saint. We refer to the saints. We say we commend someone's soul to the place where the saints are, where the just repose. And we refer to them as saints only with a small s. We're not canonizing people willy-nilly. We're just believing that there is a reasonable hope that they have fallen asleep in the Lord, as we like to say, and that they are in heaven. We don't say that for sure, otherwise we wouldn't be praying for them. We pray for people because we don't know their judgment. We only know the judgment for sure whenever someone is declared a saint in this formal sense of the word, you know, with a capital S. But this idea of remembrance 
is not only is it therapeutic for us, not only is it such as we're doing right now, their Memorial Day, remembering those who have died, who have passed on as a result of their sacrifice in battle, you know, for our nation, our nation's freedom. But also remembrance is, as I mentioned, therapeutic. It's something that helps us with grief, helps us to reconcile things that are very difficult to reconcile psychologically, spiritually, and emotionally. But as we bring in now the Byzantine liturgical idea of memory, it takes on now an even deeper and greater meaning. And that meaning has to do with the last words that we say during all funeral services in the Eastern churches. And that, that phrase, those, it's two words, and the two words are eternal memory. So now memory is not only just therapeutic and good, but now memory in this case is brought to a whole new level, a much richer and deeper level. What we say as the last words to the earthly life of the deceased, we do it during the services and as we stand over the grave and commend their body to the earth and their soul to God. What we say is in the last words will be these these words, eternal memory. And what we're doing is we're actually asking God to remember this person forever. The eternal memory doesn't mean that we're remembering them forever or that we just have memories about them that will go on forever, we'll always remember them. Yes, that's good and we should. But there's something that that deceased person, that beloved who has passed on, there's something that they are more worthy of. We may hope, we may intend to remember our deceased loved ones through prayer and memory, recollection of their lives and things we loved about them and admired about them. But you know, as good as that is, that's not good enough. So what we do is we ask God to give them the greatest gift we can possibly ask them. We want to give the absolute best for our loved ones, and that best would have to come from God. So we ask God to remember them by saying eternal memory. May their memory be eternal. We're asking God to commend this person to his memory, to his divine mind, because only his mind, only his memory can be perfect, his memory, so to speak. You know, we're speaking analogously here, of course, about God, but also his love. Our love is not perfect enough, no matter how deeply we love the person, no matter how much we miss them, how much we pray for them, remember them. That's all great and good, and we should, but it's not worthy. They deserve something that is even beyond our capability, and that something is only that which God himself can provide. It's his eternal memory, which is perfect and never stops loving them, always remembers them, meaning He has them in his mind and his heart, his divine mind and heart. This is what we wish for those who have passed on our beloved. And so we pray, last week, we prayed for all souls. Now it's all saints, those who have passed on, but whom we believe have lived that righteous life and are with God in heaven. As always, we like to look towards the liturgical texts for these great feast days because they teach us so much. For example, in the Vesper service for All Saints Day in the Byzantine calendar, this is what we pray. We say, come, let us celebrate the memory of the saints in the joy of the Holy Spirit, for the day of their feast has arrived, filling us with divine gifts, with purified conscience. Let us cry out with joy and let us sing in their honor. Now, listen carefully to the rest of the prayer. There's a kind of a hierarchy that's implied here. Rejoice, O choir of prophets who announce the coming of Christ and who clearly see that which is far away. Rejoice, O apostles of the Lord, fishermen who gather the whole world in your nets. 
Rejoice, O company of martyrs, gathered from all the world in the same profession of faith. For this you suffered punishments and tortures before receiving the crown of victory. Rejoice, O multitude of holy fathers. By your ascetic effort, you subdued the body and put to death the passions of the flesh. You have been carried in spirit and the wings of divine love to heaven, where you enjoy the eternal blessings with the angels whose joy you share. Therefore, O apostles, prophets, and martyrs, together with the ascetics, intercede with the one who crowned you in heaven and pray unceasingly to him that he may deliver from the enemy all those who with faith and love celebrate your holy memory. Now, that's just one dogmatic hymn from the prayer services of the Byzantine Church for this Sunday of All Saints. Now, you notice there was a hierarchy there, prophets, apostles, martyrs. And I'm going to expand on it and indicate to you that this hierarchy actually is part of the rite of preparation of the gifts in the Byzantine Church, the gifts that are going to be used in the liturgy to become the body and blood of Christ. And the way this hierarchy works is the priest standing at a table, which is in the sanctuary, centuries ago was actually a separate building. And the bread and the wine is prepared. The gifts are prepared there with the discos and the chalice together with a little bit of water. The gifts are prepared in a rite of preparation in which the priest cuts out of a loaf of bread different particles. One of them is the main particle that would be the oknix, which is Greek for lamb or the host. That's the main part of the bread, the center part with an insignia on it of the cross and Jesus's title in abbreviation, Isus Christus Nika, Jesus Christ conquers. That is extracted from the center of the bread. And again, each time the priest is saying specific prayers and verses from the scripture for every action. It's laid in the discos in a top and center place on the discos. It's that round plate with a stand underneath it. To the left of that host, that lamb, will be a triangular-shaped piece of bread that is cut by the priest, and that represents the mother of God. So she's going to be number one, right to the right of Christ. After that comes then this hierarchy. It's actually nine levels, and the priest cuts particles, and he ranges them in three rows of three to the left of the oknets, in other words, the left of the host of the lamb. Beneath that, there are particles that are cut that represent the living who we are going to remember at the liturgy and also the deceased. But that hierarchy goes like this, the nine particles, the three sets of three. As I mentioned, the Virgin Mary is set apart on her own. But then comes the glorious prophet foreigner Baptist John and all holy prophets, as you heard in the prayer. Then the holy glorious illustrious apostles Peter and Paul, and other apostles, the hierarchs, based of the great, or the theologian, in other words, the church fathers, the first martyr, especially Deacon Stephen, the venerable and God-bearing fathers, like Anthony, Euthemius, Sabas, these were the desert monks, the honorable and charitable wonder workers, like Cosmos and Damien, and then the holy and blessed ancestors of God, Joachim and Anne. Because this is the hierarchy that is represented by these particles. So even in the communion of saints in heaven, together with the angels, even with angels and dominations and principalities, all the spiritual beings and all the people in heaven, there's actually a certain hierarchy. And this hierarchy is commemorated during this rite of preparation. When we come back, we're going to talk more about saintliness on this great feast in the Byzantine calendar of the Sunday of All Saints. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. 
In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Save, save, save the dates for Prairie Fest, Friday through Sunday, August 10th through the 12th, at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. More info at ByzantineCatholic.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. I always enjoy meeting some of our listeners. I met a listener recently, Geraldine. I want to say hello to you and thank you for coming up to me. It was at our Humanavite conference, which went very well, and I'm glad you were there, Geraldine. I want to thank you for coming up to me. It's great hearing from you, and I'm glad that you hear us on Light of the East. We're talking about this Sunday of all saints in the Byzantine calendar. We had that back in November in the Latin Rite calendar. So you see, once again, we arrive at the same point, but in different ways, different emphasis. <laughs> That's one of the main messages here in Light of the East, the, the gifts of both lungs of the church, East and West, and how we really do arrive at the same point, but come to it from different perspectives. And they're all valid perspectives. One is not better than the other. And this is why I believe that unity in the church is possible, and it should be, because the disunity, the things that keep us apart, simply are not significant enough to justify a torn body of Christ. We've got to work towards unity, and that's what this program is about. Primarily, yes, we present the riches of the Eastern Church, but you can't speak about one without speaking about the other. And that's part of the beauty, the fun of, of this whole church thing. It's beautiful. It's fascinating. It's complimentary. It's intriguing. It's a mystery. And saints are mysteries too, but saints, as we're referring to today on the Sunday of All Saints in the Byzantine calendar, saints are, and I'm going to say something that maybe is going to sound a little different, saints are not extraordinary people. They're actually ordinary people. That's right. See, a person who is a saint has reached a certain level. In a sense, it's like a return. They have returned to a certain degree, a large degree, to what is at least an echo of our original innocence. See, the human person by nature is a saint. We were created to be holy. Think about Adam and Eve. Everything was in harmony between them and the world, them and God, them and each other, them within themselves. It was all in harmony. It was all innocent. They did not know sin. 
They did not have the knowledge of sin that God warned them against if they ate the forbidden fruit. That is how we were intended to be forever. That's right. No sin, no sickness, no death. And eventually to move gently into the next life, into the next reality, like the Virgin Mary did and Christ did after his resurrection. Gently, intact, in other words, virginally, entering into the next life, body and soul together, virginal, integrated, intact, and to live gloriously in heaven forever with God. This in-between spot where we have to struggle for our holiness and how we have to try to struggle and move beyond sin, this is all unreality. So as we live in this unreality, we are in a sense not fully human. We're not, yes, we are in a technical sense, but we haven't reached, arrived at the level of humanness that a saint has. That's really what we're doing. When we're declaring somebody a saint, we're declaring them to be so very human, so fully human, so correctly human. In other words, holiness is the correct posture of a human person. It only seems extraordinary to us because we're in this very, well, actually unordinary state, which John Paul II calls historical man in his theology of the body. In other words, that state that is affected or is post-original sin, this state that we know that has so much hardship and hate and fighting and war and woundedness, death and sickness, that state, that historical man, is in a sense unreality. It's not the truth about who we are. And we have to struggle through this. And as we do and grow in holiness, when we arrive at sanctity is because we've arrived at a point where we've, in a sense, retrieved some of that original innocence and we are even more human. So a saint is someone who is just an ordinary human, but in the correct, authentic, honest, and original intended way. In the end, our humanness will be raised to its highest level forever as our bodies and souls are reunited with Christ in heaven forever, intact, just as the Virgin Mary was when she passed into the next life, fully intact, body and soul together. I'm going to read a couple more passages from the liturgical text, and this is from the Matin service for today in the Byzantine Church for All Saints Day. And we pray this in one of the odes. Before your sufferings, O Savior, you were willingly clothed in a cloak of mockery by the soldiers to cover the nakedness of our first father, and naked you were nailed to the cross, setting aside your tunic, the symbol of death. Now, Interesting how they're talking about nakedness and clothing and a cloth. In the Eastern churches, our spirituality does that a lot, especially in reference to Christ. We talk about a garment or clothing or being clothed. Like when we baptize, we say, all who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What does this mean? Well, this refers back to what I've been saying about our original condition of being holy. And the Eastern Fathers describe the fall in terms of our taking on a garment of skin In other words, we become more physical, in a sense, in a more coarse way than we were originally. We were probably more spiritual, more spiritual lies. We don't know exactly the state of Adam and Eve. They obviously had a physical body, but there was probably something more spiritualized about it, more like Christ and his transfiguration, more like when he appeared after the resurrection. He had the body, but with spiritual lies. There was something very, very special about it, very spiritual about it. So 
when we fell, the fathers will say, well, we took on this other appearance, this other, in a sense, garment of skin where the, the physical, you know, the visceral, the banal becomes more prominent and we become more coarse in our life. You know, we get dirty, we smell, we, we die, we, we rot in the ground. It's, it's, it's a more of a coarse existence. And Jesus takes that on, and they use that symbolically in the prayers by saying, you were clothed in a cloak of mockery by the soldiers to cover the nakedness of our first father. In other words, his nakedness, and they're referring to the nakedness after the fall, where Adam and Eve were ashamed of their nakedness as a result of the fall. They weren't originally. Their garment was much more beautiful, much richer, much more innocent and pure. But when they achieved that knowledge of sin by eating the forbidden fruit, now they looked at each other in this more banal way and in, and in the potential for a lustful way. So that to cover up, that to protect themselves from each other's gaze, which they could no longer trust as a result of sin. So Jesus is taking on that nakedness because he was naked on the cross. And they make this reference, they say, to cover the nakedness of our first father, and naked you were nailed to the cross, setting aside your tunic, the symbol of death. So what he's doing on the cross as he's redeeming us, he's returning us to our original nakedness, that innocent nakedness, that pure nakedness. And it's interesting because it says he laid aside the tunic. This is what happened. Remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament when he was being tempted and he ran away and his, his tunic fell off of him. He was running away from the temptress. And he was naked, as we say in their prayers, he was not ashamed of his nakedness. He wanted to be pure of heart and avoid sin with the foul temptress. Now, the next part of the prayer says this, From the corruption of the tomb, O Christ, you have refashioned my fallen nature by your resurrection. You have adorned me with eternal youth. Make me again in the image of the King, shining with eternal brightness. Now, that's very interesting, very beautiful words. You have refashioned my fallen nature by your resurrection. Make me again in the image of the King, shining with eternal brightness. So, Jesus, by his death and resurrection, then his ascension, he refashions our human nature. In other words, he, he calls it back to its original beauty, shining with eternal brightness, as it says. We're in the image of the king, because in fact, we were made in the image and likeness of God. From the very beginning in Genesis, it, it tells you the truth about the human person as being by nature, normally, a saint. We were made in the image and likeness of God, period. Anything else that comes after that, and we like to define ourselves, unfortunately, in that historical man, in the fallen sense, Oh, well, what do you expect? I'm only human. I do mistakes. I sin. I don't do things imperfectly. I am human. Well, we need to add a little clause to that. You are a fallen human. If we just leave it as human, then we're not really telling the truth. Because if we were fully human, we would do things more perfectly. Because to be fully human, truly human, authentically human, means to be holy and perfect and radiant, and shining, and innocent. So it's when we do great things that we should say, well, what do you expect? I'm only human. So sanctity is about being fully and honestly human. And the church is the arena, the vehicle that we so need, its liturgy, its prayer, to grow in that humanness, in that process of theosis or divinization. And that is my prayer for you and my prayer for all 
Christians, all people, and we pray always that all who have passed on, especially those who were baptized into Christ, that their memory will be eternal. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. WTN, helping people grow in their love and understanding of God. Hey, listen, I want to tell you also, you guys are phenomenal. The opportunity to say these things on the air is filling the, the vacuum out there with very, very positive thoughts and ideas. I'm, I'm just thrilled that you guys do what you do. just want to say how wonderful it is to listen to you guys. You've taught me that life needs to be much more intentional. I want to thank you for your ministry. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!